What's up, guys? My name's Anthony Sosa, and this is As an Artist, a local famous records podcast about local artists, their art, the creative process, and the local scene. On this episode, we have Dale Brunson, a well-known face around the DFW area. It seems Dale is one of those guys that knows just about everyone. And I'm sure working at Guitar Center for years and years will have that effect on you as well. Uh, Dale has been running live sound around the DFW area for over a decade, um, playing guitar in Sweet Meat, a top 40 cover band that he and I co-founded since 2012, and recently has opened his own studio, Sounds by Dale, out of his home. And he actually recorded my album for Temporal Distortions, Volume is Power. Um, he recorded that. We did that at Sounds by Dale. So we didn't mean to shamelessly plug that. It just occurred to me. <laughs> I was like, ah, I could drop that in there too. Um, we had a great conversation. I had a lot of fun talking to Dale. We talked about Werewolf Therewolf and the Raven Charter in the late aughts when I met him. Uh, what it's like and how to be creative when you're running live sound or when you're recording people in a studio, as well as writing and performing music and how Dale has his process for that. And then at the end of it, we kind of get into why we co-founded Local Famous Records together. So I hope you enjoy this uh, conversation that we have. I certainly had a lot of fun doing it. At the end of the podcast is going to be a track, and I'll in introduce that after the interview. Enjoy. But, uh, but yeah, so, okay. So for the listener, uh, I guess, introduce yourself and then kind of just tell us a little bit of like how you kind of got into music. Okay. Uh, well, my name is Dale Brunson. Uh, I'm a musician, audio engineer, uh, just person of the music scene, trying to get my hands in any way I can. Uh, I've been involved with music since I was a little kid, started playing piano, started first band in high school, and then just kind of kept going down the rabbit hole from there. Um, so who, who were your first, I guess, what was the first record that you bought or CD that you bought or what, what, in early childhood, like what were the first things that, that you kind of, that I guess drew your attention? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, when I was a little kid, uh, the first album i remember getting on cassette was aerosmith's greatest hits uh i was probably five or six and my mom let me pick a tape and i just thought the album art was really cool i had a red one mm -hmm. nice that, that's like 73 to 79 aerosmith exactly yeah that's awesome and so i had no idea who they were didn't know what i was getting i just thought that the tape looked cool and so <laughs> got that my second one was uh bad companies running with the pack oh nice what what singles what bad, what bad company singles were on that? Uh oh man, there are a bunch of them. Silver, blue, and gold. Um, nice. let's see. I love bad company. Uh, running with the pack. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, bad company. All right. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it had a lot, a lot of the uh, the bangers on there. Yeah, that's awesome. So okay, so you play guitar, among other things, mm -hmm. bass as well. Uh, when did you start? Play what did you play first? Did you play bass first or guitar first? Or so uh, between those two, I played guitar first. I uh, started off taking some piano lessons when I was like okay. seven or eight. Did that for like six months, and then I did the same thing. 
Oh, really? Six months, six months in the same time period. Nice, nice. Quit. Why did you quit? Uh, honestly, I just kind of got a little bored with the lessons. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Yeah. It was just like, you know, we weren't learning to play any songs. It was just little scales and things like this. And uh, my grandmother had a, a Roland electric organ, and she had some of these uh, easy songbooks. So they had the, you know, it was written as normal sheet music, but the notes were really big and had the letters of the notes mm. inside. So as long as you knew where, you know, the names of the keys, yeah. you could kind of get through and play along. And so That's I was like, cool. well, that was way more fun than going and sitting and doing this bullshit. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's I feel you. So, okay, how long between when you picked up another instrument? Uh, I got my first guitar when I was eleven. I want to say uh, it was actually at my cousin's house. One of my cousin's friends had left it over there. It was this Antares guitar? It was oh. like a knockoff of a BC Rich Warlock. So oh wow! Super pointy. Um, had. It was black with like a red pinstripe going around it. And oh, it wow. Had all these crazy switches on it. I had no idea what they did. In fact, I owned that guitar for like three years before I actually got a legit upgrade. And when I started just tearing it apart to kind of see how it worked, I realized there was a, uh, a battery compartment. So it had some sort of active electronics that I never used the entire time wow. I used it. Wow. So that's, that's funny. Yeah, it sounded like what you would expect. <laughs> <laughs> So okay, so what were you playing on it? Like what? Um, what were you learning? So when you know, is this? What year? This, is this? would have been. Ooh, let's see, ninety-seven. Okay, ninety-eight, right around that time. So this was right around the time where uh, you get those free AOL trial CDs. Oh yes. And so we, me and my brother would go through the neighborhood and just grab them from all the neighbors' uh, doors, so that way we would just stock up on these CDs, <laughs> have internet. And I remember that was where I discovered guitar tabs. And so you just find random things. So, you know, early on, uh, learned Blink-182 songs, stuff that was just really right. easy. But it was like, hey, I know this song, you know. Uh, Metallica, of course. Nice. Uh, my buddy and neighbor down the street, we call him Metal Mike. He got me into Metallica and Pantera and Megadeth early on. All right. I never really was good at playing any of it. You know, I was really more into the kind of the pop punk type stuff. But gotcha. uh, you know, it definitely uh, definitely got me rooted there and gave me the respect for that type of music. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So, so let me ask you, like, what type of Metallica were you getting into at that time? Was it like current Metallica or was it like older Metallica, like 80s Metallica? It was all early 80s Metallica. Yeah. Because, you know, when you want to learn to play guitar, that's the one that had, or, you know, all the cool guitar solos yeah. are in there. And, you know, it's, it's just all about shredding. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, Ride the Lightning, Kill Them All. Uh, is that your favorite Metallica stuff? Uh, that's a good question. I found myself over time, like just being satisfied with not actively listening to Metallica anymore. Mm -hmm. I got nothing against them. Sure. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I think some of the later Metallica stuff is underappreciated, but I always have fun. You know, anytime you play anything off of Ride the Lightning, I'm always ready to, you know, start headbanging, That's you know, awesome. and start jumping around. So, nice. uh, yeah, but I, I guess I'd say if you told me, hey, pick a song on the jukebox, I'd probably shoot for something that was older versus more current. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, I see, like, I totally just missed that boat. It wasn't, I got into uh, Load mm -hmm. like independently on my own in like middle school. Um, I saw like the King Nothing video on, 
right. at Pizza Inn on Hemp Hill. I remember like oh, being nice. there and like, I don't know what channel that, I guess they had cable. I guess they must've had on MTV or something that was showing music videos. And right. Like, what is this? Um, and so like that, it was, and that's like almost like sacrilegious, but I, I, I'm, I would rather listen to the Black Album or Load than uh, maybe some of that other stuff if I had to pick one song. Right. But it's just because I didn't really grow up or like come, come across to that stuff to like way later. No, I get that. You know, I'm, it was, I guess I can kind of relate to that in a sense. You know, I remember uh, uh, The Memory r Remains. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. And that that creepy awesome. chick. Nah, 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 yeah. nah. Uh, all that stuff. Uh, Is that The Unforgiven 2 or I think it's on that same album. Okay, okay. Yeah. But uh, I remember hearing that song and I didn't really associate it to Metallica. You know, mm. Metal Mike was showing me all the old stuff and it was like, oh, this is the same band? And so it was nice. like, yeah, I definitely, you know, there's there, a lot that of songs sense. I think were definitely underappreciated on uh, Load and Reload, uh, probably more so on Load than on yeah. Reload. But yeah, there, you know, some Life of that, some of that mid '90s, late '90s Metallica was actually pretty cool. Yeah, man. Sorry, I'm not trying to play footsies with you. Oh, sorry you're good, that. man. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. So okay. So or, so playing playing. When did you start like playing with other people? Uh like a band or like the first iterations of bands or something. So the first time I actually started playing with people was freshman year of high school. Uh, one of my best friends, uh, Nathan, he uh, was new to the school and he played drums. And uh, he was the only person I knew that really played any other instruments at my school. And so we started hanging out and he played for his youth group up at his church. And so he told me, hey, man, you know, we could use an electric player. We've only got an acoustic player. And so, you know, I didn't grow up in the church, anything along those lines. I was just like, oh, this is a band. And like, and they play every week <laughs> and they need an electric guitar player. I was like, oh, yeah, man, I got this. No problem. And so got in there, uh, realized it was not what I was expecting it to be, which wasn't necessarily a good or a bad thing. Just it's not like playing in most other bands, you know. Sure. Uh, but I did that for a couple of years and then. Uh, my senior year of high school, I started my first band uh, with my longtime friend and uh, partner in crime, Aaron Carruthers. Uh, we started our first iteration of a band called uh, Ulterior Motive. And uh, from there, you know, we've kind of had different bands, kind of gone into some different styles and genres, but Aaron and I have always kind of been the common denominator there, you know. Gotcha. So what did Ulterior Motive sound like? And I guess, how did you meet Aaron? Like, how, how did that come about? So Aaron actually went to the same school that I did. He was a year older than me, and I actually didn't meet him until right before he graduated. Uh, we all, uh, me and the group of friends that I ran around with, uh, were going to a party, and it was actually at his uh, house. And, uh, yeah. Uh, we were all hanging out in the backyard and, you know, drinking and, you know, just doing stupid high school stuff. And uh, I went in the house to use the restroom or something, and I heard him noodling around on an, uh, on a Squire guitar. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. You know, he plays a little guitar. <laughs> and then he proceeded to just rip my face off with this crazy stuff. And then I found out, oh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to UNT. I'm going to get a bachelor's degree in classical guitar performance. I was like, oh. <laughs> all right well uh you want to start a band <laughs> and so that was kind of how it started but uh nice yeah he's 
even if uh doesn't matter what project I've been in, even if he wasn't a founding member, he's ended up being a part of it at some point. Gotcha. So So is this was this in here in the DFW area? Uh yes. We were based out of a uh, small town outside of Arlington called Kennedale. Uh that's where we grew up. And uh then when college hit, he went to UNT. I went out there for a year. And so uh kind of the end of that band and then all of the bands that came out of that were based out of Denton. So Nice. So what, what, what was your year in Denton like? Oh man, it, uh, it sucked. Uh, honestly, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it the way I should have, you know, and of course being a freshman and being away from home for the first time, you know, uh, you're seeing that there's a lot of fun things to do, but you can't necessarily do them yet because Mm -hmm. you're not old enough. And so, uh, yeah, I, pretty much bombed all my classes that entire year, just wasted, you know, loan money on BS, went home every weekend and, uh, yeah, realized that, uh, it was way more awesome after I moved and I was old enough and got into the scene. I was like, I th- this place is actually pretty sweet. You know? Nice. So I, I totally can relate. I dropped out of UNT as well. It took me a few more years to fully commit to my dropping out but right <laughs> but I, I totally feel you so okay so what, what what was the denton scene like what what did you think what, what, what was you like you just said it was cool what was cool to you about it like, so by the time uh i started playing in the denton scene one of the things i liked was just there was such a vast array of different types of bands and musicians in the area and the crowd out there, they just loved music. And so you'd see some really off-the-wall lineups that you'd be like, really, is this lineup going to work? And then really, if it was outside of Denton, it probably wouldn't. But, yeah. you know, we would go to uh, Andy's or uh, Dan Silverleaf or The Boiler Room uh, or yeah. Abbey Underground, you know, any of those spots. And you would just see some crazy, crazy, like, you know, have a death metal band open for a pop punk band open for, you know, some sort of cover band, you know, yep. and it would stay packed and people would enjoy it and just hang out the entire night and eat it all up. You know, yep. it wasn't a matter of I'm here to see X, Y, and Z. And as soon as they leave, I'm bolting because I really don't want to be here to begin with, you know? Absolutely. No, that was what, that was one of my favorite things about the Denton scene too. I, mm-hmm. rem- I remember that. And that kind of faded away as we got, I feel like as we got into the 2010s, like 08, 09, 2010, uh, you didn't see that as much. Maybe, maybe still in Denton, but like certainly not anywhere else. Like, oh yeah, and I told, yeah, I know what you're saying there. And I think a big part of that is just as people started focusing more and more on creating content and creating a presence online, the importance of trying to create that face to face scene, you know, kind of fell to the wayside and was yeah uh, taken for granted, you know. And so yeah, just that's interesting. Yeah. Slowly started fizzling out because now it was more a matter of, oh, I need to reach out to people online because I'm trying to go bigger than just, you know, the same yeah. same couple venues here, you know, the same couple bands that we rotate. And it was, you know, just kind of shifted too far in the other direction rather than trying to find a good way to utilize both, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. So okay. So then when did you start playing? I guess we should say, you know, you were playing with Aaron and Ulterior Motive. When did that shift into the, the second iteration of the other, the new iteration? Or was it a different band entirely? So um, the first iteration, Ulterior Motive, we uh, decided to change names. We went through a couple lineup changes on drummers and ba- uh, bassists early on. Uh but we had evolved from Ulterior Motive into a very short-lived project called American Royalty. 
I think we played one show that we unveiled that we were changing our name and did kind of a half and half set and then did one other gig after that and then that band fizzled out. Oh, wow. Uh, and then when we got out to UNT, uh, ran into uh, a couple other great guys, uh, Carlo Decanini and uh, uh, Chad Himmeline. And so we established a uh, much different band, much more proggy, heavier uh, band, very much Sign of the Times type band uh, called Werewolf Therewolf. And so I played with those guys from 2000, late 2007 to mid-2011. Uh, and those guys are still around. You know, they've, they've gone through some lineup changes. They've gone through some... Uh, style changes genre changes but you know the, the good news is uh they, they've got some killer musicians in that band and so even though they've kind of changed their their vibe over the years it's been good the whole way throughout you know yeah, definitely i totally agree yeah so this is that's the time that i kind of met you i met you i feel like it was oh like nine yeah it would like have that. been around oh eight oh oh nine at the uh the old, good old storage depot yes yes uh storage so during this time period, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is still the case because I haven't been up living up there. But I, for whatever Shout the out reason, Loop Two Eighty Eight. Yeah, it was off Loop Two Eighty Eight. So there wasn't, besides rubber gloves, which only had a couple, like a handful of practice spaces. Mm -hmm. There wasn't like a practice space complex. No. Like here uh, in Fort Worth, we've got EMP, uh, and we used to have. Oh, what was the name of the place? Inches of Mercury. Yeah. Um, so there's, so there's these, like, I don't know, you know, if you don't know, listener, like there's, that's where bands, like some of the, you know, these complexes where bands get together and practice and you just, it's like security and cameras and that sort of stuff. It's like your own practice space, pay rent on it. Uh, those places are, are cool, but, um, I like them for, because they have community. It's like a, you get the bands and like in a, in a, mm -hmm. in, a, in a space together where you start kind of seeing mutual bands. And so that's kind of how we became friends, except this was at a storage depot. Like it wasn't there really weren't places in Denton to practice like that. Right. <laughs> and so this dude, the owner of that one, I don't know, I don't know if it's still the same owner or not. It was before they had apartments that they built over there. Right. Um, you know, just had, had to sign a, a little piece of paper where we just agreed to, you know, not break stuff and not, not do things after, I think it was after 10 PM. We were up there super late sometimes, but just pay rent on the storage space like normal. So there's, I don't know, 12 bands up there, 10 bands, oh, yeah. something I like mean, that. Probably just as many bands as there were people actually using it for legit storage. You yeah. know, and uh Yeah. Yeah, I mean for real. gates would lock from the outside after ten PM and so you'd have to have your drummer or somebody hop the fence and let you in from the yep, inside. That's right. Yeah. Power ran off of those little timed outlets and yep. so figured out if you snapped a drumstick in half, you could wedge it in the timer and just keep yep. it running. Yep. But uh we all had extension cables, everything ran off extension cables. Oh yeah, absolutely. Everything had to go out into the hall and just daisy chain and surge protectors into one another. Yep. And it was awesome. Now who is who are some of the bands that were I remember Hyperion before they became Rod of Obsidian. Right. Was up there. Yeah. And then of course there was the Raven Charter. Yeah. Uh yeah. there was uh House Fire. House Fire. And it was that was at a House Fire practice that I remember meeting you guys in Werewolf Therewolf. Uh, but uh, what was uh, but bring forth the fallen? Oh uh, yeah, they they practiced up there. Um, uh, kill for the kingdom, which became I am man, I yeah, am monster. That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was fun. But yeah, like I remember. So we were having house fire practice. House fire was 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 fun. I'll talk about that another time. But right. <laughs> um. But we so 
uh we heard you know new stuff and it was like we we were kind of familiar used to the i'm getting excited i'm hitting the mic and stuff <laughs> uh you know the bands that had been up there we kind of heard you know and we're into that was the cool other cool thing it was very supportive everybody was like friend, oh, friendly with everybody it was like really really buddy buddy um but it was like oh who are these guys like we haven't heard a sound like that it's much more of a modern sort of sound um i don't know how else to describe it other than that like it was like this is this is new sounding um and so we walked, we just walked up, we just finished, you know, took a break on our practice, whatever, and just walked over. And you guys were playing inside. Y'all had one of those in, indoor AC spaces. Yeah, we, we were living it up. Yeah. <laughs> high on the hog, man. And so, like, we came in there and, like, watched you guys run one of your songs. I don't remember which one it was. Um, I think I might have even had the camera running. I might have been running my little digital camera. I think just, you probably like, were, yeah. With you guys, which is now in retrospect, like that's kind of rude. Just rolling. I don't <laughs> even know you guys and filming y'all. Um but yeah, like and I was we y'all were super fucking cool. And it was just that we were friends ever since and played a ton of shows together. Oh know? yeah. I mean it was match made in heaven, man. I that was definitely some uh some super fun times being up there, you know, just hanging out. You know, and yeah, everybody loved everybody up there. You know, we would often gig together, or, you know, had bands that, the, you know, the lineups didn't make sense trying to help each other out finding yep. shows or, hey, you need to borrow some gear. You know, it was like, hey, you, <laughs> we got eight bands worth of shit up here. I'm sure we can piece together whatever you're yeah. looking for right now. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. So, okay. So Chad was the singer of Werewolf Therewolf. It was, was he the singer when you, when you quit or was Daniel in the band? So Daniel had been in the band for, I want to say a little over a year, probably about okay. a year and a half. Okay. Um, and so yeah, Chad he he recorded our very first EP. Uh, Is that stuff out there? I don't know if it's actually available online anymore. I, I think we you know we we ran through TuneCore. Uh, Dude, so do you have those songs? I do have those songs. Dude, so I mean, uh, you know, off air producing or on air producing. Yeah. You want to put that shit out like we could put this shit out if you want if, if, if the other guys yeah you know. i mean uh i gotta I mean, see I, i've yeah. gotta see if i still have the i mean i've got the record like the actual recordings you know gotcha. like uh, i did at one point have the original multi-tracks and so i've considered trying to go through and oh, try wow. to revisit like them remaster. yeah and just kind of see if we might be able to do a little bit more because We've all come a long way since uh, 2008. Those uh, songs are so fucking heavy, dude. Oh, those man. <laughs> those they, songs are awesome, dude. They're so much fun, you know, yeah. I, and that's the sad thing is I would I'd have to go and relearn all of them because there was so much going on. Yeah. You know, it was I, yeah. I'm definitely atrophied over there. That'd be cool. That'd be cool if, if the other guys, of course, obviously with everybody's yeah. permission. But um, if we all if we could get like a reunion werewolf, werewolf life performance of like uh lamp I, what was it lamp was yeah it was called or like one uh one of those i don't know one of you know one of those old ones that i don't know i'm just yeah. i'm just geeking out now. oh Sorry. no that, that um, would be yeah. a blast you know try to just put put on an, an og night get a couple of those bands just to get together yeah dude even if even if they can only muster up three four songs you know we can all do it like the old days do a six or seven band lineup yeah in day. <laughs> yeah dude for real that'd be so turn fun. and burn man yeah man Ah, uh, the good old days. Okay, so so okay, so your departure, you, um, so okay, so what happened after that? Like, what was what was going on with you in regards to like you going to shows and you be playing music, doing music? Like, what would happen? What were you doing at that point? So at that point, uh, around the time that I started, 
or we started Werewolf There Wolf and kind of retired the American royalty uh, gig. I'd already left UNT uh, and I had started working at Guitar Center uh, in Fort Worth. And so uh, that was a whole different rabbit hole to jump down. And I worked there. But when I started working there, it was a much different company and much different environment, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not bagging anybody who works there now, but you were required to be trained and be much more knowledgeable in order to, to stay on the floor and keep your job. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a lot of a lot of the knowledge that I've picked up, you know, when it comes to sound or gear or just other instruments outside of guitar or whatever, you know, I was grown up playing uh, came from those times. Uh, but yeah, during that time, uh, you know, I was working at Guitar Center. We were playing shows. Uh, you know, scene was re- feeling really good and healthy at the time. There were just a lot of opportunities to play and a lot of just random little venues. There were just a lot yeah. of shows that could be could be had and crowds were fit good. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we got a little momentum there for a couple of years. Uh, and then in 2011... Uh, that was kind of the big transition in regards to Werewolf. Um, we had decided to uh, let our original drummer go. And about three weeks after we had made that decision, uh, we received contact from uh, the folks at Ernie Ball. Uh, we had uh, submitted a, it for their Ernie Ball Battle of the Bands competition where you get to play your local Stop a Warp Tour. That's right. And uh, we were notified, hey, congratulations, you won. You get to play the, uh, the Dallas Stop of Warp Tour. And it gives us all the details. And then, you know, I've got to go, oh, shit, and got to go crawling back. Shout out to my buddy Chris Summers. Uh, <laughs> and just say, hey, man, you know, remember how you liked the idea of at least having a farewell show? Well, how does Warp Tour sound for your farewell <laughs> show? And, uh Yeah. Little did I know that was going to be the last show that I played with <laughs> as well. But uh, yeah, wow. during that time, you know, that was when I really got to be more enveloped in the scene. You got to really learn the other bands, get to know the other mm. guys. Uh, so who are some of the other bands? Uh, you know, I mean, besides you, kind of what we said. At the right. I mean, you, space, you yeah. guys, first and foremost, the Raven Charter. I mean, y'all were definitely our biggest buddy band early on. Like we were always trying to if we could book a show it was like, hey. If y'all haven't got the rest of the lineup booked, we already know who we want to have on the bill with us. Um, Hell yeah, same. And yeah, I mean, a lot of the other uh, people that we mentioned earlier uh, got to know some some more like the uh, Fort Worth bands that were out at the time. Uh, like, uh, let's see, who was it? God, put me on the spot here. Sorry, no, you're good. Uh, well, they weren't, I guess they weren't from Fort Worth, but I remember there was a really cool band that we played with a handful of times called Ocean's Firing, mm. and they were one of my favorite local bands for mm. the longest. Uh, but yeah, uh, the other part was just getting to meet some of the different sound guys and some of the other people that yeah. work in the industry, uh, like Wes from the Boiler Room. I'm sure you remember him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, when, anytime you saw that he was going to be running sound for you, you'd get super stoked because it's like, oh, we're going to sound fucking badass. Yeah. And I'm going to be able to hear myself on stage. This yeah. is going to be so great. Definitely. He was always the the one that would tell, I mean, especially after they did the remodel, like, okay, we're going to put your guitar amps facing sideways. Mm-hmm. We're not putting them facing the crowd. Right. This room isn't good for that. You want, mm-hmm. but, we can, I can, but I can mic them up and I can have it come through the PA speakers. It'll sound great. You know, and I remember him having that conversation multiple times with like us but then also like once we were the new bands who hadn't dealt with them before oh yeah 
But yeah, how is have you talked to Wes recently? Anytime I haven't talked, man, I haven't talked to that guy in years. Uh, I'm friends with him on social media, so I'll see a little post and stuff. Look like he's staying healthy, which is awesome. But uh, yeah, I know that he, you know, as far as I know, he's still out there doing his thing, making people sound amazing. So yeah, he was awesome at that. So okay, so when did you so did you when did you start shifting into like live sound and like and then your studio your recordings and yeah so i started getting into recording with werewolf their wolf well that's when i really started pursuing it hardcore our first project uh first two projects ulterior motive and american royalty we it was all self-produced you know we'd never gone into an actual studio and gotten to work in that capacity but uh aaron he had a Roland 16 track digital hard disk recorder. And so we would uh, go and it had eight inputs on it. And so, you know, you can mic up a drum kit or, you know, mic up whatever you needed. Uh, we had no idea what we were doing outside of actually how to save stuff into it and play it back. Uh, but we would go through, record everything on there. And then we had an external 1X CD burner uh, that we would go through and we would bounce out each track on the CD would actually be two tracks uh, that we recorded. So track one on the CD would be channel one and channel two, but we would pan them hard left and hard right. And then track two on the CD would be channels three and channel four, same thing. And then we had Cubase, I think it was Cubase three or some old OG version of Cubase. We would take that CD, dump all of those tracks in there, split the stereo tracks back into mono tracks, and then those were our tracks that we used to actually start mixing down. Wow. And once again, had no idea what we were doing, you know? (laughs) Uh, But fast forward to when I was playing with Werewolf, I was working at Guitar Center, so, you know, I'd had to do some training modules, you know, for pro audio, and so they go over interfaces, and uh, I just started to kind of get an initial grasp of, okay, this is how you can do it with a computer, I've got a computer, you know, I think I could start doing this. So I started with the original, uh, M audio fast track. It was USB 1.1 and slow as shit. I mean, nightmare. And then I got remember stepping up to a firewire interface. So I was lightning fast. I had the, uh, the, uh, personas firebox and I rode, rode that thing for years and years. Uh, but yeah, the werewolf, their wolf stuff, uh, by the time we got there, we actually lucked out and got to track the first, uh, EP out at UTA. They just built a brand oh, new right. recording studio and a buddy of mine, uh, was going to school there in their music program. And in addition to that, his father owned the contracting company that actually built the studio for the school. Oh, wow. And so we were given kind of carte blanche to use it so long as we, it was after hours. So we couldn't start until after 10 PM. Mm. So we'd, you, we'd do sessions from 10 p.m. to like 4 a.m., you know, just shit like that, try to knock it out when we could. Uh, and then we couldn't, didn't have the time in there to go and mix it and finish it out. So uh, I took the tracks home, dumped them in to, would have been what, Ableton 4 at the time or something, and kind of just started working from there and made some really terrible sounding mixes. <laughs> uh and then just getting pissed off at all the amount of time and effort you put in is like, why does it still sound like shit, you know? And so then I just found myself really, really, you know, chasing that dragon and 
researching online, you know, and mm. you were at that time, you're starting to see a couple people who were putting out some YouTube content. Really, you know, it was doing more deep dives, reading forums and having to learn how to sift through all the BS that you come through in forums and yeah. how much info is legit versus just someone talking out of their ass. Yeah. Um, and then it just became, you know, started doing more and more reps. But I did. Uh, I mixed the first two Werewolf, Therewolf EPs. Uh, I also performed on those two at after the second one came out or or during the time we'd already finished recording but we hadn't actually put out the second uh ep is when i had left the band mm. uh and then their most recent release um oh, i'm drawing a blank on what the name of the album is mm. uh, uh but their most recent release dropped last year i actually uh mixed and mastered that for them did a little bit of tracking as well so uh, still love working with those guys, you know, and hold them close. But, you know, during that time, you know, we were starting to get a little bit of traction off of some of our recordings. And uh, I eventually got a call for the first time from somebody who wasn't someone that I knew that said, hey, you know, I really liked what you did on this Werewolf Airwolf EP. I'd love for you to, you know, produce my stuff. And then I found out he didn't realize that I was in the band. So I was like, oh, you literally just like what i'm doing <laughs> nice I'm, I'm surprised uh you know but yeah um, yeah i want to do it and so just kind of started diving in you know fake it until you make it and just the whole time trying to so is this was that your first client yeah that or... would have been my uh my first client uh his name was uh or his name is dylan herster uh, and his ah, project yes. uh was at the time called la saboteur and so uh I was just excited to kind of work with another band and, you know, work on something that I wasn't a part of actually making. So you don't just sit there and grind yourself down and just like, oh, I can just get it that much better. Yeah. I, and just, you know, analysis paralysis. You're like, never get the shit done. Gotcha. And so that was kind of what got me started with recording. And, you know, it was always just a side gig, a labor of love definitely wasn't making a lot of money on doing it or anything but mm. it was fun um and then fast forward to about uh what 2013 uh i got a call from a former co-worker of mine at guitar center uh and he was like hey man uh someone told me that you're in an 80s cover band and uh my frat uh is having this uh, 80s theme party at this club in Fort Worth. And so we wanted to see if uh, you wanted to play it. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, man. I've got an 80s cover band. Sure, no problem. And uh, he told me the pay and told me the details. And we got off the phone. And it was like, okay, fuck. Now I've got to put together an 80s cover band. <laughs> uh, and so I reached out to you, of course. And uh, some, of, some of my buddies that were you know, on the Raven Charter and some of the other bands that we were talking about earlier and uh really the initial intent was just to get through that gig you know because it was good money and it seemed like it'd be fun yep. you know and uh it was like perfect timing because like six months before that or something like that the end of 2012 uh a mutual friend of all the raven Turtle guys justin jordan was getting married and so he wanted us to play his wedding uh, and so I think we played like one raven Turtle song or something but we played a bunch of cover songs and so we just learned you know, a, a cover wedding set between us. And so 
that was kind of a one-off thing, but then you came around asking for this 80s thing. And so we took, you know, a Garrett from Raven Charter and, and Chris Musso, who who played that Justin Jordan set. We got our original drummer. Um, we we did this 80s show too. Was it Miles at that show too? Uh yeah, Miles did the first one with us. You know, Miles was with us for the first couple gigs. Miles Norton and and was Eric? Was yeah, Stolp, Eric Stolp was, was there. Eric was with us for for the first uh, couple gigs as well, and so yeah, I mean it was timing kind of worked out well there. We did the gig, realized that none of these kids were born remotely close to the '80s, so they <laughs> it was really funny actually. Yeah, seeing them try to dress up in costumes, you're know, like, that's not '80s, that's '90s. You know, I don't. But hey, you do you. And uh, that was a that was interesting. Not to I, I don't I don't know how much you should say on air because did you <laughs> right. name did you name your buddy who hooked you up with the show? No, I'm not. Okay. No, I wouldn't. Man, it was a weird gig. That was like one of the weirdest. Even ever since, like we've played a lot more shows. That was a, that was a weird night, man. But it was a great way to kick it off. It was like, yeah, yeah. we should do this more. Yeah. And so, uh, after that gig, uh, we we established Sweet Meat. Yeah. And so, uh, at that point, uh, which by the way, since we're talking about it, I just want to talk about where we got the name from. Do oh you, yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> apparently they, they give you little games and things that you can do to try to figure out a band name. And so we had heard that if you go to Wikipedia and you click on the random article button 10 times, whatever it lands on, that's what you name it. And so I don't know if it truly landed on the 10th time or if someone just clicked and they, until they saw something they liked, but I think we hit, I'm feeling lucky on Google or maybe that's, like that's what, what it, was. it was or something. Oh, okay. But yeah. But yeah, Sweet Meat was actually a racehorse from the 1800s that yeah. I think may have been like the first Triple Crown winner, or, yeah, but like had sired the first Triple Crown winner. But yeah, it was a British racehorse from the 1800s. Yep. So shout out Sweet Meat. Sweet Meat. R.I.P., bro. It was awesome. That was like, yeah, of course that's going to be the band name. That's the perfect band name. Yeah. Uh, that was funny. And so, yeah, we started doing that. And of course, in doing that, you know, we were. You want to make money, you want to be streamlined. And so in order to do that, you got to provide sound, you got to run sound. And so for the first couple of years in the live sound scenario, I was really just doing it for ourselves. And our setup was fairly unconventional compared to a lot of traditional bands and what you would provide for a live sound gig. Uh, that and then also trying to mix while you're on stage instead of being out in front of the speakers. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know that got me into that realm and just kind of understanding, you know, working in that environment. Cause it's definitely not the same as a studio environment. And, uh, yeah. after doing that for a couple of years, I had a couple buddies of mine that, you know, established live sound engineers in Fort Worth that would need a sub for some reason. And so like, Hey man, you know, I know that you've run sound for your band. Can you come out and cover for the night? You know, try to make it as easy as on, on you as possible. And so, just started trying to trickle in there and what just like the recording or what was the some of the first venues you ran sound for so uh, i remember ooh, one of the first ones uh that made me realize oh maybe i shouldn't do this again or kind of scared <laughs> me uh was filthy mcnasty's in fort worth um uh, my good friend chris was their resident sound guy and he needed me to cover for the weekend and uh you know, I felt like, oh, I'm, I know compression, I know EQ, I know how to get levels right, you know, I'll, I'll get everybody sounding good. Well, the one thing that I didn't understand were how to ring out monitors or feedback or what to do when that happens. And so, sure enough, 
you know, as soon as we start, this country band starts playing, and I'm just getting this low-end rumble. And I'm freaking out, don't know what I'm looking at or what I'm looking for, and so I pretty much just have to turn all the wedges all the way down to get it to go away. So, of course, the band really loved me at the end of the night for that. Um, but, yeah, they're uh, the White Elephant. Um, you know, I'm just trying to imagine just no monitors. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like, hey, I'm sorry. This is my fault, but this is the only way I can fix it. I, I can't punish the crowd. So, okay, so what are you supposed to do in that situation? Uh, I mean, in that situation, what you, what you want to do is you want to go through and you want to EQ out each one of your monitors. And so you got to find out which hot frequencies are there, you know, that are going to be building up around uh, your the microphone because usually you've got a microphone placed right near that wedge. And so you have to find those troublesome frequencies and get rid of them. So if you start turning the volume up, it doesn't start to create that feedback loop, you know? And so, sense. of course, you, you know, being on stage, everybody always wants to hear more and more and more, whether it's themselves yeah. or someone else in the band, they're always thinking it's not loud enough. And so uh, if you want to get loud, you've got to make sure that you've taken care of those troublesome frequencies. Otherwise, it's going to happen before you've even gotten loud. And yeah. then everyone's just pissed at you. So. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, okay. So what, where are we at now? What is this like 20, 2015, 2016? Yeah, 20, 2016, you know, uh, started just filling in every now and again, and then had a couple buddies that would do solo acoustic gigs that, you know, would, uh, need a sound guy or really more importantly needed access to a PA and, you know, we'd already established a PA for sweet meat. And so it was like, okay, I've already got the speakers and the mixer. This will be an easy gig, you know? Mm -hmm. And so just started, you know, filling in, in these little spots. And then I was given the opportunity, uh, to buy my same friend, Chris, that got me the, the nightmare gig at, uh, filthy McNasty's. Uh, he got me hooked up to uh, sub in and be a sound guy for a local party band named Pooh Live crew. Uh, shout out to my boys. Nice. Uh, but yeah, uh, started working with them. Super nice guys. Uh, had a system that was a little bit bigger than what I was used to working with. And so, you know, kind of put me outside of my comfort zone. And at the same time, got, gave me the opportunity to work with the same band. So you can really start mm -hmm. to refine things and test things out. And so started doing that, you know, working a handful of gigs, over the past few years and that turned into more and more gigs my friend Chris kind of stepped down and I just took over as their, their sound guy. Um, and then things just kind of kept building up slowly, but you know, I was starting to get a little bit more established, getting more opportunities. And then come around February of 2020, I decided, you know what, I think I'm going to go ahead and quit my day job and just pursue uh, doing audio, whether it's recording or live sound, do it full time. You know, I think I'm ready to do it. Mm. And so, yeah, impeccable timing, yeah. great timing. Right, yeah, February 2020. Yeah, and so I quit my day job. It was right around the 15th or 16th of March, and so it was a matter of days. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, so going to have to get real creative now. <laughs> well, that was, <clears throat> for me, it was serendipitous because uh, I, I was working on my record, and so I was like, I wanted you to help produce my 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 solo stuff, and so thankfully we got to spend a lot of time during the pandemic. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely, uh, working on that. You know, uh, I know it was it was a tough time for everyone, but you know, especially for pe 
people, you know, creatives or people that work in the, you know, yeah. the entertainment industry at large, uh, yeah, you either had to, you know, evolve, mm -hmm. you know, or adapt, you know, learn something new, start running types of gigs or, you know, working with different media that you haven't before. But if the opportunity is there, you just got to get in where you can fit in, you know, yeah. and, uh, that was, uh, I think because of that though, we've got a lot of, uh, great content that's going to be coming out moving forward because a lot of musicians had to learn how to be able to yeah. be a little bit more self-reliant, you know, and be able to put these things together, you know, uh, be able to set up a podcast out of their bedroom or be able to record an album out of their bedroom or, yeah. you know, uh, and you know, with technology, the way it is and with the amount of resources and, uh, you know, information uh out there at your disposal i mean you can put out some top quality stuff yeah. i mean on your own absolutely yeah that's pretty crazy so so you've had the experience of working in multiple kind of like scenes i mm -hmm. guess you could say like so you've you know been a part of the dfw scene in the as i like to call it like original music but then with sweet meat and also running sound for poo live um, that just sounds way to poo live. Yeah. Um, the, uh, you know, the cover scene too, or the tribute yeah. scene. I know, I know working at Oscars too, y'all have tribute bands that come out and stuff. And yeah, like 95% of the time it's some form of tribute band. So. so what are the, what are the differences between, are there differences or is it the same people? Is it different people? Is it like a different type of vibe? What's, what would you say? So, uh, this is something that's new to me. And I think a lot of this is just because things have opened back up and people are just so excited to be out. I mean, gigs are blowing up, you know, everyone's busy and that's such a good problem to have after such a shitty year last year. But what I'm seeing is just, I had never realized how many tribute bands were here in the Metroplex. Oh, and when wow. I started talking, you know, I've come across some of them that have been around 17, 18, 20 years, you know, uh, Pooh Live Crew, they're wow. not a tribute band, but they've been doing this for 16 or 17 years, you know. But I've also started seeing a lot of these bands that have popped up within the last 12, 18 months. A lot of them were guys that they couldn't gig, but they could start getting together and jamming or, you know, working on mm. songs. And, you know, you find a band that you like. Uh, and then you find a lot of these guys are in multiple tribute bands. It's like, mm. you know, I work with, you know, I'm going to be doing, you know, this band tonight. But then I'm, in two weeks, I'm going to be back out here playing with this tribute, you know. Mm. And half the band will be the same lineup, but it'll just be a different gig, you know. But I, the crowd seems to really love it right now. And I think it's because you got a lot of people that are going out that want to see live music yeah. that usually are not that type of person. Mm. They're not normally ones that want to go out to concerts. And so they want to hear music that they know. Yeah. And uh, even when you, with a cover band, you know, unless you have a very narrow lane as far as what style or genre of music you cover, yeah. there's that unpredictability. And it's like, well, I want to hear songs that I know. I don't want to hear songs that I don't know. And so I think it's, that might be a big part of why we're seeing so many of them, but mm -hmm. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, there's a lot of these tribute acts are awesome. I mean, I would say, you know, they're putting in the, the time and effort uh, to sound as solid as they possibly can. And many times they're sounding better than the bands that they're attributing, <laughs> at least in their current states, you wow. know? Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely a different scene, you know, as far as, you know, the types of venues and you know how to how you're trying to book your shows and you know 
uh, it's it's a different beast altogether, you know. Of course, yeah. that being said, the original rock band scene, uh, it hadn't been super present in recent years anyways, you know, or at least the way that I felt or the way that it was when we were cutting our teeth and doing that as far as, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to have this many bands on a, on a bill, you know, this is how you get paid. There's going to be pre-sale or there's going to be this type of cover at the door. Uh, with the tribute acts, you know, it's a, it's a structured much, much differently. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not seeing as many venues that are doing those types of shows anymore. Where it's like, it could be a bunch of local original bands. We're not worried about if you draw that well, but don't expect to get paid if you don't draw, yeah. you know. Uh, you're just not seeing as many of those venues around or existing anymore. Yeah. You know. Um yeah, I think I mean think the Lola Saloon just opened back up this past weekend a few days ago. Oh, nice. Uh, and so that's nice to kind of see that it was a huge show. Royal Suns play, and Arenda Light, and then Trees Marie uh, played that gig. And I really, really wanted to go. I didn't get to go. Oh, I had family man. stuff to do. But like it, that was one of the venues at least here in, in Fort Worth. The Grotto Tube since, but it's been gone for a few years. Right. But you could have those, have that kind of freedom to have, you know, band more, more original bands and people would show up to those shows or whatever. I agree, like playing in the Foo and playing in the Kombucha Mushroom people and doing some of those cover shows, um, it is just different. It's just, a, it is like the, sh- the shows. Are, and like even in Sweet Me, and I, it's, I like, I like playing in cover stuff because everyone has a good time. Like right. People show up. I guess to have a good time, which maybe I don't know if people are showing up to the original shows that way. I mean, they, hopefully they are, but like you know, it's people know the words, right? People dance like that. I remember some of the first Sweet Me shows that we did, and like everyone at the wedding dancing and just going like, "Oh, this is cool!" Like I've been playing shows for almost a decade at the point, but like no one was dancing, right? You know, <laughs> no, I mean it's it's, it's yeah. a weird feeling. You've seen yeah. people mosh and do our hardcore dancing, yeah. but it's like no, these are couples dancing, yeah, like together. I was like, this is cool. Uh, and, and, you know, and then the foo stuff, like people would just go ape shit for foo fighters, you yeah. know, because, and, and uh, not just that band, a lot of other bands, but it was just like, oh, this is cool. You know, just pe- seeing people just belt out their, you know, the lyrics to these songs. Everybody knows all the words. Uh, that was a really cool feeling, you know, that like never really got to feel that's, that's a rare, I think it's a special thing. If your band gets to that point where you're, you know, playing crowds, people, everyone knows the words, to all your songs. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a special thing. So yeah, I don't know. There it 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 is different, but at the same time, like I like the original scene. I feel like it's even it's closer knit. It's a little less competitive, right? I feel like you know, yeah. at least here in in this area. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, well, and that's because in that scene, I mean, one of the biggest driving factors for most of those bands is you know your money. You want to get paid yeah. for that. I mean, and yeah. they're putting in the time and the effort. You know, dressing up, looking the part. You know, yeah. providing you know additional things. You know, whether it's lighting or scrims. I mean they're really trying to put on a show for you. And so I understand, you know, you're going to do that. You want to get paid for it. But because of that, and because there are so many tribute bands that are now in this area, it does become a little cutthroat there and a little dog eat dog uh, because you want to get the good paying gigs, you know? And if, if for the amount of effort that goes into it, if, if the cash isn't there, it's really hard to say, Oh, I still want to go out there and do it. You know? Yeah. Whereas with the original scene, or at least back when we were doing it, if you got paid any money, that was icing on the yeah. cake. I mean, you always hoped yeah. that you would, you know. Of course, mm-hmm. when we were younger, didn't understand how you really make your money by mm-hmm. playing those gigs. But, uh, yeah, it was just more a matter of trying to get on to 
bigger gigs and cooler gigs you know yeah. playing with bigger, bigger bands yeah because it was you're trying to get exposure out there you yeah know, you're, you're not worried about making the money you're just trying to get more people to know you and like you yeah. you know versus you know i already know that people like this that's why i'm doing this yeah. you know and so it's just it's a completely different dynamic and so uh yeah i mean those those scenes they can feel much more communal yeah in that sense and more you know much more familial uh yeah so what is your process what's your creative process like like when you're writing music or working on a session or like what do you what's your approach uh well i guess it really just depends on what type of project i'm working on uh i mean when it comes to writing that's never really been a strong suit of mine uh i'm one of those that can come up with a little you know maybe a little four bar eight bar little idea and then never can figure out how to come out of it and so it just goes on the back burner you know uh I mean, Helen, you and I have gone through and shed it on a song that I wrote almost a decade ago, and I still don't think it's done, and I still haven't finished retracking it, you know. Mary so Christmas. As, yeah. Uh, as far as, you know, writing, you know, I, I really don't have a process. That's why I'm not really <laughs> successful or efficient at it. Uh, you know, when it comes to audio, like, or mixing, um, you know, studio and live, I mean, the, the end goal is... I still I'm trying to shoot for you know the same thing. You want things to sound as great as they possibly can and mm -hmm. really help uh really help bring to life what the artist was envisioning, you know, and what they've put down there. Really make sure that you're putting it out there and presenting it in a way to where it really is engaging the you know, the listener that way. Um in the studio, uh you know, if if I'm if I'm straight up mixing and I, I didn't track the client, you know, uh, one of the first things I want to do is I just want to listen to everything that's there and see what elements really stick out to me. Hmm. Uh, you know, and of course, you're always talking to your artist, but uh, as far as what, the, you know, what their goals are and what they really want emphasis on. But I try to listen for elements that kind of pique my interest. I was like, oh, what's that? You know, hmm. and then figure out, OK, so where does that need to kind of fit in the thick of things you know and just kind of make a note of that you know i still got to polish other areas but you look for okay. elements that you're like man that's a that's a really cool spot or, or a really cool part we want to make sure that that really shines because that's going to be one of those little things that someone would be like oh this song's pretty cool and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah you know um yeah. and so i you know i try to try to look for those elements you know early on uh and then once I've kind of figured out, okay, these are the points that I think should really shine, you know, then I'll start kind of working through my process of mixing down, you know, my drums and my vocals and my bass and my guitars and other elements, just trying to keep in mind that this element, even if I haven't started EQing it and all that, I know the space or I know the role that I want it to take in, in the final product. Uh, you know, and, in regards to live, uh, my number one goal is I want to make sure that everybody's happy, you know, because you got you got three people to try to appease in that scenario. You got the people on stage, you got the people out in the crowd, and you got the person who hired you to to do mm. the gig. And so, um, you know, and I'm 
I'm sure that you've dealt with plenty of instances where you've come across a sound guy that you either couldn't stand or they acted like they couldn't stand you, even yeah. though you may not know them and just creates for a real hostile environment and no one really ends up having fun. Mm -hmm. You know, even if the gig ends up going down, well, everyone thinks that it was a bad night, yeah. you know? Uh, and I've been on both sides of that. I mean, I hate it whenever, you know, artists think that I'm out there to get them or that we're, you know, not on the same team, mm -hmm. but you know, don't let, can't let it get to you. Yeah. But you know, my, my whole MO is to make sure that everybody's comfortable and we can communicate because we can do that. All the other stuff, all the fun stuff, you know, the, the EQing, trying to mess with the effects, really getting all that dialed in. We've got more time to do that because we're mm -hmm. all working together and we all know that we're working. We're all working towards the same goal of making this as great as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's a positive, you know, approach to, to having to deal with people, especially people like artists and musicians on, a, you know, in a, in a professional capacity. So, like, do you have a, a favorite producer or an influential producer that you kind of look to or a few different people or just maybe approaches that or something? Or uh, I mean, there's definitely a lot of different producers that have put out great stuff. I mean, one of the ones that you hear a lot of people bring up, but there's no denying he's been an influence on me is Chris Lord Algae, you know, just because so many of the bands that I grew up and loved, I mean, he or his brother Tom did, you know, had their hands in and you know, they helped kind of establish uh, a sound or, you know, to that style of music. And so a lot of those elements, of course, okay. that's what I grew up and that's the stuff that I love. So, you know, I know that I'm going to be biased with some of the decisions that I make or some of the things I'm trying to do. It's like, that's going to be the good sound. So what are some of his pro projects? Uh, um, it's, uh, he He's worked with uh, Blink-182, Paramore, uh shoot just about any hair metal band from the 80s okay. i mean the dude's dude's been around for a long time uh you know multi multi grammy award-winning guy has you know he's kind of one of the the top three that you see that every company wants them him to endorse his their stuff and whatnot gotcha. uh but yeah i mean whoops um uh, I, when it comes to producers, I can't say that there's anybody that I've just tried to model after. Sure, you know, I've, sure. I've once I started trying to learn, I've tried to make it a point to become aware of these different producers in these different areas, just to to kind of also kind of pick up, just like you do with musicians. It's like someone's guitar style. It's like even if they're featured on someone else's track, you're like, oh, I know that person. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. You kind of figure out people, their profiles and their tastes, and it's like, okay. Yeah, Chris Lord Algae mixed that, or you know, Mitch Allen mixed that, or you know, uh, anyone else. You yeah. know, just you you kind of pick up on those vibes. I think that's cool. Well, okay, so before we wrap up, um, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, the co-founding of Local Famous Records here this past year. Uh, What's that? Yeah, what what is that? I don't know. Um, but you and me kind of got together to do that while we were working on this record, not just you and me, but right. along with, along with our, our brothers, um, you know, Michael and Garrett and Brandon and Glenn, and Glenn and, and Matt and Eric and Tanner. Um, we, uh, you know, so we, we, we now got new stuff going on, hopefully in the future. Like what would you I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Yeah. But like, what would you want to do here in the next six months to a year? 
that would you know fulfill like your creative drive well if do you want to do what do you want to do the first thing i want to do is leave this podcast because (laughs) you put me on the spot uh no um i mean really when we were trying to kind of flesh out what we wanted this to be you know kind of what we knew we wanted to do something you know uh but trying to you know put feet on it's like what exactly are we wanting to do my biggest uh my biggest goal or vision for it would just be to create you know a network and a community of just different creatives you know throughout the metroplex you know not just fort worth folks non-fort worth folks and dallas folks non-dallas folks but trying to really bridge that gap and you know one thing that i've realized is i can't think of any artist whether they're a visual artist musician or whatnot that only dabbles in one thing and one thing only yeah. you know that they might have their bread and butter but they've always got another interest or another passion somewhere else and uh a lot of us are very talented at a lot of different things you know and yep. so um especially with what was going on last year you know things were kind of shut down people were stuck at home you know uh couldn't go and play live and so a lot of musicians were really down because you know they lost a source of income they also lost a source of joy Mm -hmm. in their life and so yeah um you know you had a lot of other artists that are trying to learn and figure out how to produce things on their own and that's great but you know doing everything on your own a lot of times you can only go so far and uh you know i my vision my vision as far as how I wanted to see it kind of flourish would be to kind of establish a network of these different musicians and artists and creatives in the area, uh, to, you know, lean upon, you know, and, you know, uh, leverage the community skills, you know, so you put out a single great, well, you don't have any, any album art for it. Well, guess what? So-and-so who's the drummer of this band is also a graphic artist. Mm -hmm. So let's get you hooked up with them, you know? And if y'all work together, you know, it might be a favor. It might be a a handshake thing. Great. It might be, hey, you know, this is what I do for a living. I can't do it for free, but I'm willing to give you some love because you're part of this network. You're part of this local famous family. And in return, that graphic artist, when he, you know, he needs to go and actually track a new song. Well, who knows the guy that just put out his album, he's able to record. Mm -hmm. So, Hey, you know, and just utilize that. And, you know, there's so many different aspects that go into, uh, you know, releasing any sort of, for lack of better terms, product, whether it's Mm -hmm. a song, whether it's, uh, you know, apparel, whether it's, you know, any, uh, content uh there's just so many different elements that go out or go above and beyond just the creation of it and so you know very few of us have the time or the knowledge to knock all of those things out of the park by themselves and so you know at the same time a lot of us don't realize how many other people that we actually know have these other skills that could fill in these gaps it's like oh wow this is a no-brainer and you find out what their gaps are and it's like oh we've got this covered you know uh so you you just you help each other out you know you also get more experience in doing these things that you really enjoy doing you get an opportunities to you know book work you know uh book gigs get get more things with your name out there so that that's kind of what i'm hoping 
to establish out of all of this. You know, all of the other things I think are fantastic, but just for, for my own selfish reasons as far as if at the end of the day, if all we got out of this was X, Y, or Z, that would be what I would be most proud of is, you know, we actually have, you know, this collective that someone knows if they're affiliated with Local Famous, if, they, if they're not able to do it directly, they've got the contacts that can get them taken care of. Yeah. And, you know, we're all cool people that we're all doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. And I agree. <laughs> I agree with all that too. I want to help you do that. Let's, 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 let's try and make that happen. Because, I mean, the, the more of all of us who are connected through this, these networks, the more we can help each other out, achieve, you know, our goals, whatever that is, whether that's creating visual art or, cre or doing, releasing an album or just booking gigs, right? Like, or whatever. Uh, let's just let's let's help. Let's yeah, help, let's help each other do that stuff. Just reestablish the scene, you know, and create a scene that's a loving scene that you want to be a part of. Yeah, you know, and once you do that, you know, the artists have to be want to be a part of that scene first, and then once you do that, then the crowd will start yeah. wanting to be a part of that scene as well because it's like, oh, this is this is the place to be. This is where the fun is. I need to get in on that action. Absolutely. So, what what do you think of the showcase before before we sign off? I thought. I had a blast. I thought, you know, it was it was a a great first show. You know, the we had a decent turnout. You know, ever the vibe was excellent. You know, that was I the best so part about it. You yeah, know, we the vibe was great. You know, kind of talking earlier about the Denton shows where we'd have some kind of eclectic lineups. Yeah. You know, this showcase I would consider it more on the eclectic side. Uh, I mean, when you compare Glenn to uh, temporal distortions i mean we we sure. went in two different directions right <laughs> yeah. off the bat just yeah. back to back which but everyone dug it you know yeah. it seemed that the crowd had really responded uh you know and seemed like or i i can only speak for myself but it seemed like all of us were really enjoying ourselves up there yeah you know and uh yeah it just was a good time you yeah. know and that's that's what we want to do you know and we want to get more artists involved that will want to be part of that good time you Absolutely. know because uh the local famous thing, you know, it's, it's a name, you know, we're not a company, you know <laughs> what I mean? It's, uh, we don't have a definitive product that we're trying to push out on people, but it's something that we want to have create an affiliation that yeah. you'd be proud of. Or when you throw it out there, it's like, Oh, the local famous involved is involved with this in some manner. Yeah. That means this is going to be awesome. Yeah. You know, exactly. That would be, that would be fucking fantastic. Yeah. So, well, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, uh, pleasure was all mine. Glad man. we got to do this. Absolutely. Let's, let's do another one down the road. All righty. Sweet. Pete, bye. Wasn't that lovely? Yeah. Okay, so to close out the podcast, I've got this song for us that I'm really excited to actually put on here and play. So it's... uh titled Mary Isthmus and it's written by Dale. Um, he taught this song to me back in 2012-ish. Uh, and he, there's been multiple versions over the time. This is the most recent version with uh, Christopher Chill Hill um, recording it, the drums and myself on the bass and Dale on the guitar. So here's Mary Isthmus. Enjoy. Mm -hmm. 